0: Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word. We ask your spirit to guide and lead us as we examine what you would want us to learn from this. And show us your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 21 at verse 20. (laughs) And when they heard, it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, You see, brethren, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they that are zealous of the law, and they informed of you, and they are informed of you that you teach all Jews that are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to be circumcised their children, neither to walk after the customs. What is it, therefore, the multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that you are come. Do therefore this that we say unto you: we have four men which have a vow on them. Take them take and purify them yourself with them and be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that that these things whereof they are informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. As touching the Gentiles, which believe we have ridden and concluded that they observe no such thing, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols and from blood, and from the strangled, and from fornication. All right, so we're going to stop there then. All right, Paul has come to Jerusalem. He is meeting with the disciples that are left there. All right, the head people, in which James we talked about being the, the main one. We talked about which James is probably the half-brother of Jesus, as far as we understood. Uh, so now he's there, and they're happy. They're, they're hearing the report of, of, of Paul. He's talking about... All the churches that have started, all the all the people, all the Gentiles and the Jews that have come to Christ, he's given his report because he is still being submitted to the disciples. Okay, they walked with Jesus. He they have something special, and he figures that they are more important. So generally, he is submitted to them, and submission is something that is very important for us. Who are we submitted to as as our leaders and you know, position, and God has always has places where we are to be submitted to our leaders, and so Paul is saying, okay, you guys are some, you guys are at least reported to be something special, I'm going to submit to you, he's given their report, and so it's kind of very interesting because at this point it says, and when they heard it, they glorified God and said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are that believe, and they are all zealous of the law, the church in Jerusalem had a problem. They were still following the law. All right, That meant they went to the temple and sacrificed. They did all these things. They were under the law. They did not see themselves liberated. And if you remember way back when we were talking about when there was a question of what happens with all these Gentiles coming to the church. Okay? Peter started it by going to Cornelius. Paul is called to the Gentiles. And now we've got a problem. Gentiles are becoming members of the church. And, that, and remember, at the beginning of the church, it was called the Way. All right? And it was considered a sect of Judaism. So it was just another group of Jews. <laughs> at least the way the Romans looked at it. They were protected by the laws that the Jews had because of the, because of the special uh, dispensation they had with Rome. So when Rome came up, they were followers of the way, a sect of the Jews. They were protected by the rules that were allowing the Jews to worship. So now all of a sudden they've got Gentiles becoming Jews. <laughs> and they weren't getting circumcised. They weren't being baptized into Judaism. They weren't being made to follow the rules. So they went to, they sent to letters, you know, Antioch sent these messages to, to the disciples and said, What do we do with these guys? Do we make them become Jews? And the letter came back and, you know, as was said in here, all they wanted to do is make sure, okay, stay away from fornication, stay away from food offered to idols, and, you know, follow God. So they gave him special rules. They go, well, you haven't been a Jew. We're not going to make you become a Jew. And so they somehow understood there was a difference between what Christ taught with the, having fulfilled the law in himself and the fulfillment of the, of the law. Because they understood you, that they couldn't fulfill the law, so they weren't going to put the law on. Gentiles who wouldn't have understood it. We talked a little bit about that this morning, the, the rules that they have towards Sabbath. All right, when they tried to figure out you know, what does work mean on Sabbath. And you know, it's a very interesting thing. When you do some study, if you want to study on what work is on the Sabbath, it gets crazy. All right, um, And all of that comes down to, because all God says is you can't work on the Sabbath. And that made, made them decide. So they, they tried to figure out what was the largest item that you could pick up on the Sabbath without working? And they had it very small. It was just a couple of ounces, all right. Uh, and if you did anything more than that couple of ounces, I can't remember what it was, but it was very small. If you picked up anything that bigger than that, you were working, all right. Uh, you know, almost like a toothpick. You know, you couldn't, you couldn't write, you couldn't erase, you couldn't. Uh, you couldn't uh, harvest, you couldn't sort, you, know, you couldn't sew, you couldn't tie a knot. You, you know, all these things right down the line that you couldn't do because you'd be working. And, you know, all of this comes down to the difference on here. And so they're going, hey, everybody's been hearing that you've been telling up there all these Gentiles. And it's kind of interesting. He goes, they have heard that you are teaching people to forsake Moses. Now I've I read through all the different uh, books that Paul has written and everything and Paul has never said the law meant nothing. He just says we're not bound by the law because the law shows that we are sinners. And he also over and over again is taught just how I teach it that when we draw close to God we will obey the laws because he is making us more like him and we will obey the law. He never ever said the law was worthless. He never said Ignore Moses, and you know, and yet this is what is going around Jerusalem. Uh, this Paul guy is telling everybody to ignore the Old Testament. He's telling them to ignore the teachings of Moses. That's a big deal to the Jews. You know, uh, their number one prophet is Moses. He gave them the law. He gave them the first five books of the Bible. He's the one that got them out of out of Egypt. Well, God did, but he's the one that led them out of Egypt. Uh, Wandered around for 40 years and brought him in, you know, brought him to the promised land, even though he didn't come in. Moses is important, and they're saying this Paul guy is telling them to forsake Moses. So, Paul is not a very welcome person amongst the church in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem church still has a problem. The Jerusalem church is full of Jews that are not accepted by the regular Jews because they they believe in the Messiah has come and yet they don't accept Paul and the Gentiles because they're still Jews in their mind. So they have a very unique place. And in Jerusalem, as happens even today, when a Jewish person gets saved from an Orthodox family, their family considers them dead. And they will go so far as to have a funeral for them They will not accept a letter or a phone call from them. They will not talk to them if they see them anywhere around town. They will not talk to them, will not acknowledge that they're talking to them. Because as far as they're concerned, they have abandoned the the Jewish faith. And this was happening in, in Jerusalem. These people were believing in the Messiah. And what that meant is that many times if you owned a business, nobody came to your store. And this still happens in the Middle East when somebody becomes a Christian, whether it's in Jerusalem or in most of the Middle Eastern Muslim countries. You become a Christian. If you have a business, only Christians will come to your store. And there's usually not enough Christians to keep you in business. And nobody will supply you with the materials that you need unless there happens to be a Christian supplier. And usually there won't be that because he won't have enough business to supply. So these guys were going to go broke they were going out of business and here they were trying to be Jews that believed in the Messiah and here they got a man that said they're being told is telling everybody to forget Judaism. So this is a big problem. And in one sense Paul was telling them, you know, you're not bound by the laws, you're 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 under grace, you you have you have liberty. And so this is a big deal. He's in Jerusalem and the Jerusalem church is stuck in the law. They don't understand grace yet because nobody's teaching them grace. The disciples had not had the real teaching on grace yet. They weren't having that full understanding. They were beginning to learn it, but they had not, especially them dealing in Jerusalem, all they dealt with was Jews and all, and they were already religious. They already had a way that they thought and acted and figured that they were being accepted by God. And now they just add the Messiah into their religious practice. And they're not understanding it. Paul understood as a deep theologian of the scriptures, he understood more. And he's coming in and they say, you know, uh, forsake Moses saying that they should not be circumcised their children, neither walk after the customs. All right. So here they are. Yes, they weren't supposed to be circumcising their children necessarily, unless they were Jews to begin with. And they went to follow the customs. Now, this is a key word that you might have missed the customs. Jesus got in trouble with the scribes and the Pharisees because he violated the customs and the traditions of the Jews. And that's part of what we talked about this morning. God said, You shall not work on the Sabbath. And then they added a whole bunch of rules on what it meant to work. All right. All through the times, they would say, God would say something simple. And the Jews, and they'll admit that they, the rabbis will admit that they're doing it. And what they'll tell you is we're putting a big wall around God's laws so that you don't accidentally break God's law. (laughs) You might break our law, but you won't break God's law because we're putting this great big wall around it. There's, from my understanding in the Bible, there's another person who did that very thing. Way back at the very beginning with Adam and Eve, What did Eve say to the serpent when he said, are you able to eat of every tree? She said, we can eat of all the trees except the tree in the center the knowledge of good and evil. We cannot even touch it lest we die. Adam, who was the one who was instructed, I believe told her, don't even touch it. So that he was saying, well, if we don't touch it, we can't eat it. Therefore, we will never violate the law. But he set Eve up because now when she touches, reaches out and touches it and doesn't die, somebody's lied to her, namely Adam. <laughs> okay. And so now she hasn't, she hasn't died when she touches it. Now she has this question of, will I die if I eat it? So, and this is the problem when we build big walls around things beyond God's rules, is we set people up for not being obedient because there's all these extra rules. And here's what's going on. And Paul, in many of these cases, it is a true statement. Paul's not making the Gentiles get circumcised. He's not making them follow the traditions and customs of of the law. But he is teaching them to honor God and seek God. But they don't understand that. And so a couple of these statements that they're coming up with is true. Not all of them. Because Paul is never saying forsake the law. He's just saying "You're, you're under grace. You're not saved by the law. They're still thinking they're saved by the law. They're still trying to keep the laws. And as a matter of fact, during this period of time, they're still going to the temple and making sacrifices. This is Jerusalem. They're Jews. They're, go, they're going every morning to the sacrifice they're giving their praise sacrifices they're doing they're giving their Thanksgiving sacrifices they're giving their pa- uh, Passover sacrifices they have not come to the conclusion yet that Jesus finished the sacrifices all right they haven't come there yet they're still growing and these are the Jewish uh, the Jewish uh, most Jewish of the disciples are still there teaching them to be Jews all right? And this is the very funny thing. You'll hear a video all the time saying, well, the, the disciples had, were, were there to start a new religion. They never, if you look at the history of it, they never were trying to start a new religion. They had no intention of breaking away from Judaism. They were saying the Messiah has come. They were looking for, they were looking for Jesus to return as the mighty king and kick Rome out of, the, out of Jerusalem and, and start his kingdom. And be the center of all the kingdoms. That was what they were looking for. They did, even at that time, they did not fully understand what had happened. They knew they were bothered that the Messiah went and died on the cross. Then he rose again from the dead, and then he disappeared again, saying, I'm returning soon. Yeah, and that's all that they knew, where the angel told him he was returning soon. This is what they knew. They were waiting. Their picture of the Messiah is what we now call the second coming when he comes back in triumph at the end of the tribulation period, sets up the millennial kingdom for a thousand years, and reigns on this world. They were ready for that to happen right that moment. The Messiah has been born. It's time to reign and have everything started. And they still don't understand what's going on. And so they are very, very legalistic. And it says in verse 22, what is it therefore the multitude must... Needs come together for they will hear that you're that you're here. There's an interesting thing here that these disciples were afraid of their own church. They're afraid of what their own church is going to do to Paul when they come together and find Paul in their midst. Because they don't like the message that they've been told that Paul is teaching. They don't understand grace, and Paul comes back with this idea, they're coming with this idea that Paul is causing problems for the Jews. You know, he is teaching people to not be Jews. And he wasn't. He wasn't teaching the Gentiles to become Jews. And so this is a problem. He says, the, the multitude of this church is going to hear. Remember, the very first message that Peter spoke on Pentecost, 3,000 people became, became saved. And it's been growing by leaps and bounds since then. All right, So there are thousands and thousands of people in the Jerusalem church still at this point. And they're going, a lot of these guys are going to hear that you're in town. And they don't like the message that you're preaching, Paul. And so they come up with this brilliant idea for Paul, supposedly. Uh, Do therefore this, what we say to you. We have four men which have a vow on them. Take them and purify yourself with them. And be at charges with them that they may shave their heads and all may know that these things where they have been informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself are walking orderly and keep the law. All right? go, we've got four guys, they've made a vow. We think because they're talking about shaving their head, it was probably a Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow was one where you took a pledge to honor God, not shave your head, not drink any wine, not touch anything dead for a certain period of time. And then at the end of the time, you'd make your offering They'd shave your hair all off, you know, that you hadn't, been sh- that you hadn't cut for that period of time. And it, and it was in honor of God. I'm going to honor God and, and do this. And so they're saying, Paul, you know, why, we want you to show off. You know, we want you to show off to the people that you still follow the law. That you're going to go offer the sacrifices. You're going to help pay the expenses of these guys that are due for their, for their offerings. And very interesting, this Nazarite vow, which is from Numbers chapter 6, involved, you know, all these things that you were not to do. And then at the end, you brought in an animal and you offered it for sacrifice. Actually, three animals to offer for sacrifices. Had your hair shaved off and you, it fulfilled your vow and paid your, paid your vow. So we're saying, Paul, go ahead and go to the temple. Put, you know, do all the things that you're supposed to do as a good Jewish individual. Put on a show. Paul, we know that you've been out there in the in the Asia Minor. You haven't been back for offering sacrifices and you're, and you're teaching about the salvation, of, uh, salvation through grace, through Jesus. But now that you're back here in Jerusalem, do things our way. Now this is something that is very interesting because Paul knows better. And yet he's at the Jerusalem church with the Jerusalem elders and he's submitting himself to their statements instead of arguing with them. And this is something that is very important. You know, I have visited many churches, many different denominations, very, you know, and I know what I can say in each denomination and what I can't say. And if I'm visiting a denomination, my job there is not to go cause confusion with that church. My job is to teach the gospel as best I can within the confines of what they teach. If I go to a church that believes you can lose your salvation, I'm not, my message is not going to be to them eternal salvation. All right. It's not my job. I can teach salvation. I'll teach that Jesus died for their sins uh, and and bring them in. So Paul is going to honor their request. It's going to get them into trouble. All right. Uh, It's going to be lots of trouble because he's going to honor these leaders who are saying, go with these guys. We've got four guys that are at the end of their vow. It's time for them to go to the temple, get purified. Paul, go in there. You know all the rules. You know, they know that he studied under Gamaliel. They know that he was a Pharisee. He knows the rules inside out. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. You know, uh, he, was, he was a top dog in, in, the, in it. So he knows the rules. And they're saying, go out, show everybody that you are still a Jew. And Paul, on one side, has no problem with this. He still thinks of himself as a Jew. He just hasn't been telling everybody else to be, you know, continue. So he has no problem really going to the temple for this process, and so when he gets there, uh, you know, and as touching the Gentiles which believe, we have written and concluded that they deserve no, that they observe no such thing. Okay, so they're admitting, we have told the Gentiles they don't have to do. So they're saying we we accept, you know, we 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 gave you this letter, uh, that they should. Keep themselves from things offered to idols. All right, Paul when he writes to the Corinthians is not going to follow that one. Okay, he understands that an idol is a piece of gold or a piece of wood or a piece of rock that has no power, and eating food offered to them is not a problem. Okay, so he's he's already ignored that one or will ignore this when he when he starts writing to the Corinthians. Uh, and from blood, and we don't indicate whether that was true or you know not, but. This idea of blood wasn't just eating blood in the meat. You know, they did have to drain it. But part of that t- prohibition against blood was that many of the idol worshippers and everything drank blood. Okay, not just ate some blood that was left over in the meat, but literally used blood in their worship. And that was what was being forbidden. Now they went through and, and drained all the blood out and all that stuff. And we still to this day drain the blood out and then we inject red dye back in to make it look like we have blood uh, in, our, in our food. Uh, and from things strangled and from fornication. So Paul has no problem with, the, with probably the blood and the fornication and the strangled, strangled animals. And they did not allow strangled animals because they considered that a cruel way to die. All right? They considered that God created life; life was precious. You were to, if you had to kill an animal, you had to kill it quickly and humanely, which meant that they cut its throat and let it bleed bleed out. You know, they cut the major artery and let it bleed out. Uh, so they, this was that whole thing. They were saying, "Be humane. Do not commit fornication. Don't drink blood. You know, don't don't consume blood." And they also said, "Keep from things offered for idols." And that was the one thing where Paul did not follow follow up on. All right. So they go, this is what we told them. Now, if you go back to the original statement, this wasn't all of what they told them, but this is what they're at at this point in time. Um, we're not going to go back too much, you know, we're not going to go too far back in there, but they had, they had included other things in the, the original instructions. So there had been some letters going back and forth saying, you know, uh, this is what God's saying, no, it's, you know, and, and changing. So this is, this is a little easier than it was the first time. And they actually understood. Paul, we know. this. You know, We understood. This is what we wrote to Antioch when, when it is. But now you're being accused of going too far the other direction. All right. Paul, people are saying that you're no longer a Jew when you're out there with people. And there was a reference to Peter in Antioch where he pulled away from the saints when people came from Jerusalem. You know, he was he was in Antioch not being a Jew. And we don't know to what extent, you know. Maybe, maybe he was enjoying his bacon and, and sausage with breakfast, you know, and all of a sudden the guys came from Jerusalem and, you know, you go, nope, can't can't have my bacon anymore. And we don't know exactly what it was that he did, but he pulled away from the the Jew the, the Gentile section of the church and caused a problem. And Paul says, I opposed you, you know, I opposed Peter to the face. For his deceptions. And this kind of record was coming back to the Jewish church. You know, that, uh, this Paul guy is not following Judaism. You know, these this, this followers of the way, and that's what it was called, the way, are, are not, you know, these Gentile followers of the way, they're not becoming Jews. And Paul is the leader of telling them not to become Jews. <laughs> and this is a problem for them because they, Gentiles don't like, uh, Jews don't like Gentiles. Even to this day they have a trouble with Gentiles. They're starting to like Christians a bit because Christians are reaching out to them, true Christians, but they really don't like Gentiles and and have problems with us because we don't follow their laws that God has put on them. And so they're all here. And then in verse 26, then Paul took them in the next day, puring himself with them, and entered into the temple to signify the accomplishment of the days of purification until that an offering should be offering for every one of them. And when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews which were of Asia, when they saw him in the temple, stirred up all the people and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man that teaches all men everywhere against the people and the law in this place, and further brought Greeks also into the temple, and hath polluted this holy place. For they had seen seen before with him in the city Trophy, Trophimus and Ephesian, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple, and all the city was moved, and the people ran together, and they took Paul and drew him out of the temple, and with, forthwith the doors were shut. All right, Paul is going about his business. He's doing what a Jew is supposed to do. He's going through. He's offering the sacrifices for the purification. They're paying the debts. Uh, There's the sin offering they need to make. The offering, the Thanksgiving offering they need to make. There's several offerings they have to make for this offering. It takes several days to do it. Talks seven days in this. All of a sudden, some Jews from Asia come and see him. Well, why are the Jews from Asia there? Remember, what day was Paul trying to get there by? Pentecost. And Pentecost was one of the three times that all Jewish men were supposed to go to Jerusalem to worship. So these Jews had come from Asia, and all of a sudden they see the hated Paul. You know, the Paul who, they, who gives the message that the Messiah has come, and that they need to believe in the Messiah. And when they reject him, he goes to the Gentiles. And as far as they're concerned, they're, he's teaching Gentiles that they don't need to follow any laws. They don't understand. They just hate him. And what happens when somebody hates somebody? They will make up any story they can to make that person look bad. And it is funny. It's not funny in one sense. But it is kind of funny when you listen to the the tales that will be told by people that hate somebody. And you're going, wow, that's not the same person that I know. Are Are you really sure that that's what they're saying and doing? And here they are. And what do they say when they come up there? They're going... Men of Israel, this is the man. <laughs> this is the man that we've been telling you about. This is the man that we've had letters about. Uh, you know, This is the man that teaches men everywhere against the people and the law. What people? In this particular case, they mean Jews. Against the Jews. And against the law. He's, he's teaching everything against us. And they go, and this place. Where's the place? The temple. All right? So what are they saying? Okay, he's, he's not obeying the law. He's teaching people not to obey the law. He's telling them they don't have to go to Jerusalem. So they're partially right. They're partially right. He's telling them you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to fall under the law. You don't have to go out for sacrifices because the Messiah has come. He's completed. it. You are saved by grace. Not by law. But he never ever told anybody not to live by the law. He just said, you're not bound by the law. And this is a big difference. They don't understand it. They're bound by the law. And still are, to this day, bound by the law. It's very interesting if you ever have an experience with Messianic Jews, which are Jews that have set to Jesus Christ, they still follow and are bound by the laws of Judaism. They get up every morning, they do their... If they, had, if they were in Jerusalem and had the temple, they'd actually act, offer the sacrifices, but they'd sing their praises and everything every morning. Every evening they do a, do a do an, uh, singing and offering and blow the shafar. And, and then they, during the holy days, they practice all the holy days. They practice the sacrificial system at this particular time. After 70 AD, they won't practice the sacrifice because the temple's destroyed. There's no place to sacrifice. And they're desperately wanting the temple to be rebuilt. And when the temple's rebuilt, the Messianic Jews will be right there offering the sacrifices that aren't needed anymore. Because they don't understand the completion of the law. They are bound by the law. And here's these guys saying, this man's teaching everybody, and he's here. And then they get one more thing, and he's brought Greeks into the temple. All right? Now, this is a big no no. In the temple, in Jesus' day, there were great big signs all over the place saying death to any Gentiles beyond this point. The Gentiles could go into the court of the women and no further. Which meant they could not go into where the sacrifices were made. And then they definitely couldn't go any further where the holy holy place or the holy of holies was. So here they're going... They think he's brought a Jew, a, a, a Greek, in there because they saw him with a Greek in, the, in Ephesus. All right, uh, saw him in the streets with a with a Greek. So obviously he brought a Greek into the temple. Again, how easy it is to make an accusation when you're already angry at somebody. And if you've ever done any kind of conflict resolution, some of the things you hear are so stupid and when people will swear that somebody said something or did something, when all the witnesses say it didn't happen. And I'm not saying that they're lying. From their perspective, it's probably true. At least that's what they think. They think they're telling the truth. And you, you know, when, if you ever do conflict resolution, make sure you get to hear both sides before you make any judgments. Because uh, you hear one side and you think, boy, that person's an absolute dog and a terror and they're awful. And then you hear the other side and going, okay, now who's telling the truth? You know, uh, and that's when a third or fourth witness is, is really wonderful. Uh, and I'm not saying they're lying. They, they probably are telling you the truth from their perspective in most cases. Uh, or at least how they perceived the truth. And it's very interesting. And here they're saying, he brought a Greek into the temple. That's going to stir up everybody. If it's bad enough, this other thing, you know, he's, he's a really bad guy. He's, he's attacking Moses and everything. But to bring a Greek into the temple... Would be the most awful things. And the people believe that statement. Alright. They believe that statement. In verse 30. Um, and all the city was moved. And the people ran together. And they took Paul and drew him out of the temple. And forthwith. And the drawers were shut. There's a riot. <laughs> and we don't know of all the people. But definitely all the people in the temple. And outside the temple when they start talking about this man's bringing a Greek into the temple is going to rile them up. And we have a riot in Jerusalem going on right now. And Paul is at the center of this. And Paul is not, a, not, a, not a, uh, in a place where he doesn't know riots. He's caused riots everywhere he goes by preaching Jesus. That's what he didn't cause though. He hasn't been teaching. He is being a Jew at this point. He hasn't even teaching Jesus in the temple at this point. And a riot erupts around him. Just as was predicted by all the different prophets that spoke to him. Paul, you go to Jerusalem. You are going to be arrested. And you're going to be handed over to the Gentiles. It hasn't happened to have been handed over to the Gentiles. But he will by the end of the chapter. All right, uh, And they come out and they are drug him out of the temple. They shut the doors of the temple. And what is getting ready to happen? They're going to take him to where they can stone him. He has desecrated the temple as far as they're concerned. They're forgetting one very important part to this. The court. <laughs> they're leaving out the trial. He has to have two accusers that agree completely with his charges ...to be able to be condemned to death. They're they're not planning to do a court case with him. When Jesus was sent to to death, they could not get the witnesses to agree. The only reason that they took him is because they asked, "Are Are you the Messiah? And he said, I am, and stopped with that. He claimed by using I am, I am God. And that was enough for them. That, you know, in their presence, all of a sudden, he'd committed blasphemy. Claiming to be God. Now, he was God, so it was the truth. But from their perspective, you know, he was claiming to be God, and that was, that was it. They, they crucified him. Uh, here, Paul is not going to get a chance to have a defense if they have their way. They're, they're dragging him out, uh, out of the doors, and they shut the doors. And verse 31. And when they went about to kill him, tidings came to the chief captain of the band that all Jerusalem was in an uproar, who immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down unto them. And when they saw the chief captain and the soldiers, they left beating left beating of Paul. Then the chief captain came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. And some cried one thing and some another, among the multitude and when he could not know for certain for the tumult he commanded him to enter into the castle and when he came to the stairs so it was that that he was born of the soldiers for the violence of the people for the multitude of the people followed after him crying away with him. All right. We have in verse 31 they're all about trying to kill him. And apparently they weren't even dragging him to the pit to stone him they were beating him to death, you know, by, the, by what we see. And it's very interesting that it says, and, the, and when tidings came to the chief captain of the, of the band, that all Jerusalem was in upward, he immediately charged down there. Now, he's getting down there pretty fast. Paul hasn't been beat to death yet. You now, how far away he was, I don't know. But it says, the chief captain of the band, this is a cohort. 600 soldiers. He had command of 600 soldiers at, 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 in Jerusalem's barracks there. Did he bring all 600? We don't know. He brought enough to cause, you know, to, to, to uh, be able to quell the riot. And you've got to remember this is a, the Romans were well known for their ability to fight. In most cases they said that one Roman could, could be able to defeat four to six other soldiers they're coming down on a population that aren't soldiers they're probably feeling we can take on 20 or 30 of them you know no problem we, we 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 can we can put these guys into in subjection no problem and they come charging down from the barracks you know again however many maybe the entire 600 of them i don't know uh but centurions are with them, and they're in charge of hundreds and because it's plural, there's at least two centurions, so there's at least two bands there of centurions, so there's at least 200 men coming down from there. And it would not surprise me with a riot forming if he would bring all 600 men down with him out of the barracks, or the majority of them and leave a handful at the barracks. So we have a very large group of people coming down to rescue Paul. Now, at this point, they don't realize they're rescuing Paul, they're coming to quell a riot. And their means of quelling a riot was lopping off a bunch of heads. You know, they, they weren't peaceful. They weren't, there just to, they weren't there just to arrest a bunch of rioters. They were there to stop the riot. And they would do whatever it took to stop the riot. And as they'd come charging down, the people left. <laughs> okay. Uh, they weren't interested in losing their heads arms, legs, feet, or anything else. They, they saw the army coming down from, from the barracks. They left Paul and backed away. You kind of see this even in, in our films of the riots out there. Sometimes when the police show up, the rioters back off unless they're being really you know, inciting, inciting. These were just a spontaneous riot, and they saw the soldiers coming down. They pulled away from Paul. And, uh, and the chief captain, in verse 33, came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains and demanded who he was and what he had done. Now, at this point, we don't know, is he talking to Paul or is he talking to the crowd? This is one thing when you see these words, he, uh, and we don't have a, pre, a, pre, a precedent for it. Which which he is talking about the crowd or Paul and we don't know. Paul has been getting beat. I kind of think he's talking to the crowd. Paul is probably not in much of a condition to speak at this moment uh, because the whole crowd was beating on him. And they some cried one thing and some and, and from among them and when he could not know for certain of the tumult he commanded him to be carried into the castle. So just like when Jesus was being condemned, they're going, you know, he brought a Greek into it, He's, he's teaching people not to follow, you know, all of a sudden people are yelling all over the place. And the poor captain's like, okay, what is going on here? What is this man doing that is so bad that the whole city is in an uproar and nobody really even can tell me what he's done? All right. This is a pretty serious thing. The captain is an officer. He wants to make sure that if somebody's going to get killed, they get killed for for an actual crime. all right. And he's in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has had this problem for a long time of being very troublesome. Pilate put Jesus to death because Pilate had had three other occasions where he had gone in to stop riots, lopping people's heads off. And the Caesar said that if you had one more time when you have to quell a riot that way, you're not going to be the governor of Jerusalem anymore. You're going to go to, using our World War II front, the Eastern Front. You're going to go where it's dangerous to go. You're not going to have a cushy job. You're going out to the wilds to fight fight the barbarians. So he did everything he could to try to keep a riot from happening. Here we're a few years later. Pilate's already gone because Pilate didn't last much longer after Jesus before he had another troublesome event and here they're ready to to lop off some heads and you know to quell a riot and the Jews were known to be people that incited riots <laughs> for the poor Roman leaders so he's coming down he's got this man nobody's able to give him a straight answer he binds Paul with two chains basically hand and foot right? okay I don't know who this guy is but he's not getting away Until I find out what's happening, he's not getting away. Now, we're going to find out the Roman soldier has a problem with this because he just bound a Roman citizen without charges. He can be executed for doing this. It's not right. And we're going to find out when we get there that he's even going to be more scared because when Paul tells him who he is later on, Paul is going to say, I am a born citizen. I'm not, I didn't buy my citizenship. It wasn't given to me. Paul was at the top echelon of Roman, uh, Roman citizenship. And he's bound a Roman citizen without charges and without a ca- cause. And his life is technically forfeit. And this is going to scare him later on. We're going to see that in chapter, in the next chapter. But this is a big deal. He is arresting Paul with no charges. Kind of like we've had, you know, we came out with the Miranda rights and everything in America because we could not just go in and arrest somebody without having charges. And the sad thing now in today's world, they, they don't charge you with one thing; they charge you with 90 things, so that at least one of them might stick. You know, well, you know, we'll charge you from everything, from manslaughter to first-degree murder, and and assault, and causing you know causing trouble, and you know, and one of those charges might stick. Uh, and that's what's going on in our country today. You, know, you, you get pulled over by the police, you don't get one ticket, you get five tickets. You know, It's just the way that things go anymore. Uh, and so this person is arresting him, and he's taking him up. And as they're climbing the stairs up to, the, to it, Paul is being carried or supported by the soldiers because of how much he'd been beat. And we don't know... Literally, was he just have his arm around you know around them, or he's chained? Was he literally being carried by them? How bad was he being before the the captain could get down? And we don't know. The word could be carried or supported, you know, and in, in that they used here. And they're bringing him up, and the multitude is following after him, and they're screaming away with him, kill him, get rid of him. You know, can you? This is quite a. He comes down into a riot. The people pull away. He picks up the man. He starts taking him up to the barracks, and everybody's following behind. Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! Kill him! You know the riot is still going on, kind of. You know, uh, and the captain at this point is just like, I want to get to the safety of the barracks. I want to get to the safety of the castle where I can get a, I can get some big walls between me and this group of people, because he is seeing trouble. He does not know what the trouble is all about. All he knows is this man is the center of what's going on. They don't like him. He doesn't have a clue what he's done. (laughs) has no clue what's going on other than they want him dead. Now the problem is the Jews did not have permission to kill anybody. Only the Romans did, which is why Jesus had to be given to Pilate to be crucified. The Jews did not have the permission to kill people and execute people because, because of their laws. When Stephen was stoned, it was against the Roman law, and I'm surprised the Romans didn't come in and break it up because they weren't allowed to kill people. They, they, they were able to practice their religion, but they weren't allowed to kill and commit capital crimes. And so this is what he's going to take Paul away and say, I got to find out what's going on but I want to do it inside the walls of the citadel where I'm protected. Now, my, gu- my guards can easily ga- guard the gates. They, we're kind of in the middle, you know, let's say he brought even half of his army, three or 400 men, around an entire thousands and thousands of people. Now, you might lop a lot of heads off, but if a thousand people want to get, get you, they're going to keep coming in at you and overwhelm you. Now, they may kill lots of them, but they're going to be, probably dead in the long run because they'd just be overwhelmed. Uh, this is how different nations have fought battles. Uh, in World War II, the Russians won most of their battles not because they were superior in weapons, they would just lose thousands of people and just keep coming. And then the, then the Germans would run out of ammo and they'd, over, uh, they'd overrun, the, overrun the, the position and kill off the Germans. <laughs> um, this is what these guys were afraid of. There's thousands of these people. We may kill hundreds of them. But eventually we're going to tire out. And eventually they're going to overwhelm us. So he's like, we need to get back up there. We need to get back up to up the mountain, up those stairs, up to the castle. And we can be protected. That's his whole thought process. Chain up this guy. Let's get him up there. We're going to find out what's going to happen. Verse 37. And as Paul was being led into the castle, he said to the chief captain, May I speak unto you, who said, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian, which before these days made an uproar and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? But Paul said, I am a man which am a Jew of Tarsus in the city of Sicilia, a citizen of of no mean city. And I beseech you, suffer me to speak unto the people." And when he had given him license, Paul stood on the stairs and beckoned with a hand unto the people. And when there was made a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew tongue. Paul's being drug up, carried up, supported up. Finally gets to a place where he can think and speak. And he makes this petition of the captain. He goes, may I speak with you? He's being very polite. He's following all the Roman customs. He's going to the king. king. He's going to the chief and saying, can I have a word with you? And it was obviously in Greek because when you read this sentence, can you speak Greek? It's, oh, you speak Greek. Okay. So he's kind of startled that this man that he's having with him speaks Greek. And probably it was a polished Greek. You know, Paul was no... Minor Greek, you know, his Greek, he spoke Greek and everything else because he was an educated man. So it was probably a very polished Greek. It wasn't just the Koine, common Greek. And at that point, people spoke a what was called Koine or common Greek. It had several free phrases. It had several hundred words so that you could communicate. Uh, Paul is obviously using a language that is more complete. And this man is astonished. Okay. Uh, who is this that I have arrested? You know, I went down amongst a bunch of Hebrews who barely speak any Greek you know, at all, and this man is now speaking to me in Greek, asking for permission to speak. He's astonished. He, he's wondering now, who have I put into my possession? Who is this that, I, that, it, it is, that I'm carrying? And he asks him a question. He goes, are you not the Egyptian, which these days made uproar and led out into the wilderness 4,000 men that were murderers? Josephus tells us that during this period of time, there was an Ethiopian, uh, an Egyptian Jew, causing an uprising. So, And he had, been, he had led his people out, and they were, he led an army of 4,000, and they considered them murderers because they kept killing Romans. All right, they kept going to battle with the Roman cohorts, and the four thousand of them is a pretty good, pretty good army. And he's thinking he caught, you know, when he first goes down there, he's thinking he caught the, this big rebel. I've got terrorist number whatever whatever he was on the top ten uh, list. He goes, I I got the terrorist, you know, I got he's in my possession now. Which is another reason why he's surprised that this man is speaking Greek to him. He thought he had captured an Egyptian. Now, why I don't know. I don't think I don't think that Paul was looking anything like an, like an Egyptian, uh, but he's thinking he got I got a number. I got a big terrorist, uh, and I, I I've I've got a big mark on my on my thing. I've got I've got somebody on the top ten most wanted <laughs> uh, list, and he go Aren't you one of those? Aren't you this man? And Paul goes No. <laughs> I am a man which I'm a Jew, of Tarsus. Now, we don't really know much about Tarsus in our day and age, but Tarsus was a major Roman outpost. Major in the point that when you were born as a citizen of Tarsus, you were given citizenship of Rome. So already the captain suspects something's going on. All right. This man is from Tarsus. If he's really from Tarsus, he knows it's a Roman outpost and that he's probably dealing with a Jew unless he's dealing with an escaped slave. So there's already this little click in the back of his mind. Uh, we might have a problem here, all right and Paul goes on, no mean citizen, uh, no no mean no mean city, all right no small city, no no minor city. this is a major city and he says. I beseech you that you suffer me to speak to the people. Now this is a pretty big, bold claim. They've already been trying to beat him, and he hasn't had a chance to defend himself. He knows Jewish law, he has the right to defend himself against them. He knows Roman law, he has the right to defend himself against them. Now he's not yet into the safety of the barracks or the castle, depending on how it's translated on there. Uh, the citadel. Uh, so there's a dangerous point. So the the, the chief captain could have been in his rights to say, not at this moment, we're going to go inside, uh, and then we'll we'll let you speak your defense. But in this point, he gives Paul permission to speak. Now I don't know why. Maybe he feels he's safe now. He's on the staircase to the to the castle. Uh, his men now can guard this, and from our description of it from Josephus, there are large, steep cliffs on both sides of the staircase. So he's not able to be attacked from the sides. He has people can only come up the staircase, so he feels comfortable. Otherwise, he would have never let Paul speak, uh, even from this staircase. But he's on this staircase that is very steep sides. He can go, okay, my men, my men can, can now protect us. Uh we can, we can hold our own and worst case, we'll back up out the, out of the steps and get into the door and we'll close the door and we, we'll be okay. We won't have to kill too many of them uh, before we're overwhelmed. And he lets Paul speak. And then Paul speaks in Hebrew to the people. And remember, Paul is an educated man. He has studied at the temple. His Hebrew is going to be flawless as his Greek is. He's he's been an educated man in two different education systems so he can speak greek he can speak very fluent like academic greek english. huh it's like how we speak english really yeah, well, yeah. Uh, and he can also speak hebrew in a very academic strong way uh, you know if you know if you've ever talked to somebody who's been trained in the colleges and everything and they have that crisp clean and and, and perfect english you know english well this is him talking to them people are going to now, this guy sounds like any of our Pharisees and Sanhedrin, because they didn't recognize him. You know, he hasn't been—he hasn't been part of the Sanhedrin and part of the leadership for 20 or 30 years now. Ever since he went away, there's been a generation of people who have forgotten who he is. is that long time it's been a while. while? He's been away for a long time. Might have only been 15 or 20, but still long enough that people forget. You no know, he was up and coming. he was the star coming up, and he's been away. Nobody really remembers who he is. he's going to remind them in the next chapter that I studied and thought we were talking about tonight, but you know he's going to remind them who he is he's going to remind them who or who he was uh but it's like anything with politicians you know if you unless you're really into politics after somebody hasn't gone has missed a few cycles of the of the election, you go. Who are you talking about? Yeah, yeah well he was, he was you know, number two on, 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 four, on four elections and never quite could make it. Oh, okay, wasn't important enough to remember. <laughs> you know, Paul was the up-and-comer, he was a rising star. And then all of a sudden he disappears. And after a few years everybody's going, Saul who? You know, Saul of Tarsus, who are you talking about? Now certain people in the Sanhedrin of course would remember him because he was close to them. But most of them now are getting retirement, you know, retired and everything. So there's going to be a Saul. Who? Who are you talking about? And all of a sudden, he rises up and he starts speaking with the language of a Pharisee. The authority of a Pharisee, the power of authority, and authority in his voice of a Pharisee. And all of a sudden, they're going to get, all right, we need to maybe pay attention. Maybe, maybe something's going on that we don't understand or know. And he grabs their attention. And we're going to stop here. And next week, we'll start chapter 22. (laughs) Lord, thank you for this evening. Thanks for this opportunity to look at what what can happen when people start walking in the flesh and deciding to do things their way. And we ask you to just help us to stay focused on you and all that we do and learn forgiveness and mercy. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.